That's Mike. That's Toya. This, this is Tech, Tech Beats and Bikes. How you? F- <laughs> I want to ask you how you feeling today, but I already know. <laughs> but I guess they don't know out there in the world. So. I'm great, y'all. <laughs> that's what y'all gonna get for today. I am great. Whether it's true or not, that's the story you sticking that's to. That's what right? I'm sticking to. <laughs> that's how I'm feeling. You great in theory. Yeah, all all day. That's good. That's good. At least you're great. I mean, it could be worse. There's a lot of people out there that's doing worse. Uh, but for everybody that's joining us, go ahead and get this in real quick. Don't forget to comment, like, and share. Continuously give us comments. We do respond live during the show. That's why we are live. Let us know what you're thinking about. Let us know if yes. we're missing something that we need to talk about. But uh, We want to hear you. The more interactions, the better. And also, Digital Grass, Medium 4, Cosmology, uh, Timeline Creations and Timeline Brewery. Yeah, that's all we got to do. See, we got the shirt on. The more we coming with the shirts, they coming. We got to get some baby tees made for the way. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the little stuff. So let's go ahead and get right into it. It's a lot of things going on, a lot of things we need to look into. But one of the things I want to address right now real quickly is uh, South Florida has jumped above the A. Say what? Yes. Yes. How so? So the South Florida region has scored more than one billion in technology investments last year, according to new data that is in 2018, and the most of any metropolitan area in the southeastern region, which, you know, Atlanta is a part of the southeastern region. We're part of the country. And so that puts us into position at uh, tech firms in Miami. So, by the way, when we speak of the southeast region, but when people say Miami, as we've talked about on multiple shows, until you're actually in Miami, we start having a debates about the counties and the cities and everything else. But to the investment world, Miami is everything in Palm Beach County, Broward County, and Dade County. And the tech firms between those three counties has record deals that are totaling approximately $1.4 billion. And by deal count in 2018, they were able to pull in 128, which was amongst one of the highest in the metros of the Southeast region. So what you think about that? Y'all better come through Miami. So of course, um, we know Magic Leap was a huge part of contributing to that number. But it's, I'm interested to hear some of the other players that helped to get to that $1 billion mark. Now, with that being said, there is like kind of like this whole thing that's going on because amongst that, um, Little River, which we know as Fakiri, Fakiri is a part of Yellow Pepper, and um, Yellow Pepper raised the most with $12.5 million from Visa and others, uh, Yellow Pepper Peppers in the uh, financial district area. Mm-hmm. And followed by uh, Wine Chilling Company, which first of all, I just want to know, who decided to make a whole company off of chilling wine? Uh, wine enthusiasts, who was like, I'm tired of hot wine when I go to the park. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, listen, invention comes out of creating solutions. You're trying to solve your own problems. And you're like, if I feel this way, I know somebody else feel this way too. So basically you saying you need that feeling today? <laughs> <laughs> you're just going to keep poking the bell. Keep poking this. Going to get you to get it out sort of later. So look, the wine chilling company, also known as what Latoya needs right now, <laughs> They raised $10 million by Los Olas Venture Capitalist, which Los Olas is in. Fort Lauderdale. Yes, get it out there. Broward County. <laughs> so the only thing I have to say about that is, though, Emerge America has kind of become its own little ecosystem for the Latinx community, Hispanic community. I'm not sure which way we're going to go with this. I think that's need to be another conversation. How do we actually address this? Because it's becoming a topic. Um, what, the Latinx thing? Yeah. Or what you talking about? Latinx okay. versus Hispanic. Yeah, I mean. Which one do we go with? Yeah. I guess that's just like the old school colored versus Negro conversation. Right. Kind of. It's very close to it. But um, who's all in that circle? Like, because you hear these things popping up, but I don't see a lot of these other communities colliding with these communities. It seems like in Atlanta, it seems like a lot of stuff collides. I still don't see the colliding points besides the Emerge Americas. Mm-hmm. So I just want to know if you think maybe I'm missing something. No, you know, and that's one of the topics that comes up often, especially, you know, because the Knight Foundation, one of the things when we were dealing with them um, is about sort of creating those collision points and sort of bridging the gap. We talk about that all the time with Matt, right? about bridging the gap between East and West of 95 and how to sort of bring those who may not be completely tied into sort of the Wynwood area, especially when Lab was sort of the, the central point, Lab right? Was the spot. Lab was it. sort of it. And then everything started to sort of bubble up around it. But there was a need to sort of there's we saw a need to sort of bridge that gap. That gap still needs to be bridged because it never was built. 
<laughs> so, so it still needs to happen. It still needs to happen. So I, we're still there. So I think that's why you're not quite seeing it. I mean, I do want to know how we overcome the, I would say, the disconnection and to the people out there in the community. I would love to know how. What do you think? What is missing to and start bringing us back together? And we are trying to make the show a little bit more interactive, but really we need this feedback because we don't just produce the media and the content. We actually are a business development company, so we try to come mm -hmm. up with a solution. So I would love to know what are you guys thinking or what do you feel that's missing out there to actually bridge these communities together because there's definitely still a gap there. Yeah. Um, and the gap to me has become a small pond. The gap is a lot bigger than what it used to be. It's actually mm -hmm. becoming more prominent. So with that being said, I mean, figure yeah. it out. We got to fix it. Yeah. So before we get into it, you know how it is. We're going to have our small break coming from our director. What are we drinking today from Timeline Brew? Ooh, oh, mango. mango. Y'all ain't ready this. for summer. I'm thinking mango with a little bit of vodka today. <laughs> <laughs> we just taking <laughs> so cheers. cheers. Timeline Brew. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Reyes. Come through yeah, with the that mango. Was always good. Man, if I had some mango pepper wings right now. Listen, and um, Publix has a fantastic mango key lime pie for really? those. Yeah. Better right. get you one. It'll go fantastic with that beer. Way too many plugs for people. Want Sorry. Money. Yeah, I'm just saying, but it's good, though. <laughs> so speaking of talking about people reducing the influence of influencers, according to TechCrunch, the screenshot of the new layout of Instagram shows that online networking platforms may remove the feature that shows the amount of likes a post has generated. Wow. They are starting to go. Uh, look, there's some people that's going to have to go into rehab. <laughs> Listen. It's real serious about all oh. those insecure Facebook models and Instagram models and people that get all their attention. This is going to be real hard for y'all. So this would mean fans. So truthfully, it's not going to be hard for them because internally you still get to see how many people like your stuff. But this would mean fans would no longer be able to see how many likes their favorite influencers are are garnering from every photo they upload. So this was a key thing and I found this to be great. We want followers to focus on what you share, not how many likes your posts get. During this test, only the person who shares a post will see the total number of likes it gets. Read the Instagram notes. So this is the thing. Why y'all think that is reducing the influencer? It doesn't reduce. It just means if you like, you don't get to see if you're following the popular crowd. Mm -hmm. Now you not only can like, you have to share the content, which the formula, the, the perfect triangle of making something go viral is share likes and comments. The comments, that's why if you look on other sectors of the world and to all you people that dive into your personal habits on the internets, there's always the most viewed, the most liked, and the most commented in certain features of this world. That's gonna be the thing. So they're not doing anything but making sure that you share this viral content, which I'm assuming, Latoya, mm -hmm. this is just gonna be another feature that you have to pay for to see where the content is being shared to pull more data analytics. It's just creating more data. Yeah, yeah, and it will require those who are into sort of being an influencer and how they interact with the brands that they want to be a brand ambassador for, they really will have to get very transparent about their true reach and their mm. true influence because it won't be easy for a brand to just scroll through your feed and sort of see how many likes you've received. You'll have to now create truly a media kit to let brands know like, hey, this is kind of the engagement that I get. And then also what your demographic profile looks like in terms of your users and your followers. I think it's good because it also then places more emphasis on the content and not the social aspect of the content. Yes. And then that too will help a lot of people who have good messages to feel kind of reinforced because people may start to, and it's, it's true because a lot of times posts that have more likes tend to get more likes because you're just sort of right. like chiming in on, oh yeah, let me like that. Since that has a hundred likes. Like it, I'm going to like Everybody it. else liked it. Let mm -hmm. me like it. We didn't talk about this. So you wasn't you know. with us in the gym, <laughs> but now you want to get on. Right. So now you got to have to like put some of that in check. And to, and to the point about, you know, people who sort of, because the information's come out already about how the sort of, inst, not Instagram, but the social media liking is very much similar to like, um, 
slot machines and that positive reinforcement Ooh. of the dings and the numbers and sort of the Ooh. how it keeps you coming back because you want to continue to see Tell it you makes me all it that work early addictive mm. you kind of you have this because it positively re reinforces your like your whatever the like what is it the Melatonin, melatonin, whatever the happy. Or say it again for people on Snapchat that's not getting what you're saying. <laughs> Drop them bars one more time. Whatever that happy hormone is, I forgot what it's called right now, but whatever that happy hormone is that happens, that, that gives you that good rush feeling. It, so social media, have, it triggers that. Just like going to a slot machine. You do the ding, you get the cha-ching, mm. and you're like, oh my God, let me do mm. it again. Even though your odds of winning are like none. But you just continue to do it because you're like, maybe the next pull mm. maybe the next photo will be my viral photo it's the same thing mm. Mm. it's the same thing there was a guest on bill maher who talked about that and he was talking about the whole idea of sort of like divorcing yourself a little bit from social media and um, was it bill maher no it was breakfast club right. it was on with charlamagne i've got his name right now but it's he talks about that and how you have a whole community which obviously this may be somewhat a response to that's trying to get people to sort of wean themselves from this social media addiction so i'm wondering will this shift the quality of content that's coming out because now people are gonna have to be more live because now you can't just like it and be a part of it to see what's going on you actually have to share this to your timeline and actually participate yeah and then it could help to proliferate more good content like you know a lot of stuff that goes quote unquote viral it goes viral because and people complain about it all the time. Like, I'm tired of seeing, like, trash on my timeline. Well, you can kind of curate your timeline, and <laughs> nah. this could help you to curate your timeline. Absolutely. And as Danny Spike said, a lot of these influencers about to go broke and be in the unemployment section. Danny, I totally agree <laughs> with you. It's going to be a lot of people all up in their emotions when this happens because uh, it's not looking good for y'all. But I do believe when I see things like this, a lot of people are definitely running from it. They come scared. What you got to think about, that just means more data analytics, more programs mm -hmm. are to put together the power of a share. How many now it's going to become how how does your share impact other things? How many people are viewing the shares? Truthfully, it's just another stack of data that they're going to be able to charge advertisers for because more advertisers are going to want to pull from that data. So you got to understand the power of knowledge. They're not going to change anything. Truthfully, influencers will end up having more power because that addiction is not going away. People are still going to want to be a part of things. And to be a part of those things, you're just going to have to share. They're now just asking end users to make a higher level of commitment to get that same satisfaction. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how everything changes. Just going to hurt a lot of people. So I just want to know how much they're going to charge for this data. Is it going to become like a $9.99 service like Netflix? Because I think <laughs> they're going to make it work some way. Um, now, speaking of, Russell Wilson is definitely the man. Russell Wilson has been, first of all, future... <laughs> you picked the wrong Don't do one. it. <laughs> Don't do it. Yo, future... Russell Wilson has been slapping you back and forth. You can run out however you want to, but this man is putting in work. He took your old lady, however you want to put that together, went and bought her masters as a gift, just dope within itself. Now this man has decided he gonna pull out his credit card, spend $156,000 and bought $12,000 worth of stock with Amazon for all his offense alignment. And his statement was, every Sunday we go to battle together, Wilson wrote, you sacrifice your physical and mental well-being to protect me, yeah. which in turn allows me to provide and care for my family. This does not go unnoticed, and it is never forgotten. You have invested in my life. This is my investment into yours. That's how you pay it forward. Look, look. Now, granted, this man is now the highest paid NFL right. player ever, so it, he do got a little bit of change that he probably need to get rid of for tax purposes. But... <laughs> That's a steady investment. Like, that's yeah. that's what you need to do. Now, the only reason why we put this in here, of course, because he bought stock in Amazon, to be more specific, where he bought the stock at. Mm -hmm. But to get a little bit deeper, I don't understand why more football players and why more people aren't doing stuff like this. Furthermore, why hasn't Tom Brady did this for him and he done won multiple championships on his team? Tom, you don't care about your offensive lineman? Womp womp. <laughs> I think Russell has definitely kicked off a trend and you may yeah. start to see more of that happening with, uh, especially because the quarterback is like the captain of the team, right? I know right. that they have different captains and it works differently in the he's locker room. He's the primary captain. But he's pretty much the leader of the ship. 
when it talks about being on the field. So I, it's, I think it's dope that he sat there and was like, listen, I know what y'all are doing. This is my gift to you. Thank y'all for getting me here because without his team, he may not have been able to get that contract. Had he been on another team and the team was a little bit sucky, you know, his whole career may be a completely different story. So his success is just as much a part of his actual ability as well as his team's ability. And as it's been pointed out, this isn't the first time that Russell has done things like this. Yeah, but no. we're going to consistently bring light to it because he's the one person doing it. And just on a side note to get to where we never really go to the gossip side, Russell, if you did tell Future to keep his little bit of extra coins – because you don't need that child support money or you don't need Sierra chasing him for the little bit of money he's sending, bro, that's the coldest thing ever. <laughs> Bishop Magic Don Juan, y'all gonna have to invite that boy out to the Players Club because that was some pimp. Look, that boy said, we don't need your coins. We straight, bro. You got other kids that need that money. Go ahead and get it to him. But if he said that, bro, look, I ain't even a Seahawks fan, but I'm buying a Wilson jersey. Just letting y'all no. know that right now. I, w- I became a Seahawks fan, especially when, really? um, yeah, when Marshawn was there, like that whole, when they were on the Super Bowl run. Well, Marshawn left, so. Yeah, but I'm saying even then, afterwards, I was still like, I like the Seahawks. Just really? because I thought that they were like dope together and they were doing some good stuff. They were making it, I mean, they were making it happen. I'm just, I'm not, you know, I'm not a sports fan. We had those conversations. Yeah. So, I don't know if you know this, Toya, but Airbnb is dropping bars just like you. Oh, are they now? Hey, y'all. I don't know if y'all know I get excited about my puns. It may not mean nothing to y'all, but it means a lot to me. A lot of thought, guys. A lot of thought. A lot of effort that goes into these little puns. So Airbnb is the lead investor in a new $160 million funding round for hospitality startup Lyric. Now, there's a lot of people in South Florida that you guys need to share this part with. So I'm going to say this part again because we want to make sure that we segment this out into a section that we put on IGTV. Mm Mm-hmm. Airbnb is a lead investor in a $160 million funding round into a company by the name of Lyric. The $30 billion home sharing platform is joined by a host of major players in real estate, including investments, Tishman Spire and RXR Realty. Now, let me tell you why this model means so much to me and why we want to bring this attention to a lot of people in South Florida. Lyric's model is similar to the one we work propolized for shared offices. Kind of, but just follow with me now. Lyric leases a full floor of an apartment building from the landlord, fills each unit with Instagram-friendly furnishings. You know your company is made when you become an adjective. And then rents them out like hotel rooms. The company makes money off of the spread between what it pays in rent and what it charges travelers. Now, the statement that came from the CEO is, the so, oh, This was from Henry Ford, by the way. This quote comes from Henry Ford. The supply and demand of real estate used to move in a rigid cadence. It was like the old Henry Ford's quote, you can have a car in any color you want as long as it's black. Don't really know how that relates, but the fact of the matter is, Lyric's averaging a nightly rate of $220. Travelers can book one of the 500 suites through the company site or rental marketplace like Airbnb. Now, as we all know, in South Florida, Latoya, there's a lot of empty condos down there. Tell me about it, because a lot of the condos are actually owned by people who are overseas. What if you just had a floor or two and all these empty condos, furnished them out, and was just renting them out? What would that do? Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of people who do, who are overseas buyers, they tend to do that. But you still have a lot of condos. I don't know what the stats are. I'm not that big into real estate, but I know that there are buildings where it's almost like 50-50 split. So this is a good opportunity for them. And the fact that they are furnishing it, it just shows you the power of Instagram and the power of social media to be it where their entire space is photo ready. Like, you just chill on the couch. Ooh, let me get my selfie in, y'all. I'm in Miami. I was about to say, what people don't realize, if it's coming Instagram photo ready, that means if I want to film something there, yeah. if I want to do photo a quick shoot. photo shoot, there's so many opportunities of a uh, carry-on upsell. So now I'm renting, subleasing the space to sublease the space all over again because you want to do something on a balcony in Miami mm-hmm. or you need to do a quick photo shoot. So now I'm paying $220 to have a studio set up in Miami. There's so many great opportunities with this, but... My qualm was with the basis of what we were putting together, which was called maximizing your square feet. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why these construction companies aren't just doing them this doing this themselves. 
why don't you just take a floor of your building, own it, let them furnish it out, and you make the money yourself? Why wouldn't you just do this? Like, it's the same reason why we don't understand on the first floor. There's so many first floors in Miami that's supposed to be retail space or office space that is empty. Mm. Why not just invest into the businesses that could fill that space up and take a percentage of the profit versus it sitting empty for the next last two, three years? Listen. Or in some cases in Fort Lauderdale, the last eight to 10 years. Why not just invest into the businesses? You can go get grants and everything else to build it out. So your worst case scenario for the empty building that's been sitting, if the business fails, it's been built out. You don't lose. So unless somebody, maybe somebody in the construction world can put me up on game. Are y'all mm. making money by these places sitting empty? Like, is there some kind of kickback? Because a lot of you guys are building off of CRA money, which CRA stands for Community Redevelopment Agency. So you should be doing something for the community. Put some businesses in there. Put some co-work spaces in there. Food yeah. halls. There's a lot of things that are needed in most of the time these communities. Or pop-up shops. Allow Anything. small businesses have be able to have a space that's affordable that they can sell their stuff. Like, I would do it. Hello. I mean, got some people that's ready to go. So Listen. I just don't understand why real estate developers aren't doing it themselves. But since you're generating multiple forms, I mean, one room of a floor, that just seems the bare minimum. If I build something over four stories one of those stores is going to be owned by me and I'm going to let somebody in my family or a friend or something just furnish them an Airbnb it out. Like, people are tired of hotels. Like, I don't understand why we're building more hotels <laughs> at this point versus why aren't we just building multi-use buildings with all the same things a lobby comes with on the first floor. I mean, in theory, Lyric is pretty much going to become a more personalized hotel. Yeah. Yep. Hilton, are y'all listening? No, I think it's cool because there's a there's somewhat of a movement about adaptive reuse. And I was reading an article uh, today about a company called Flats out of Chicago, and they basically took a synagogue and turned it into micro units. Wow. And they did it to want to preserve the building because mm. it's like a historic Historical synagogue. Element. Right. But then inside, they built it out. So it looks really, really cool. It has like communal space. And then, you know, with micro units, you're talking about 350 square feet or less. So it's the tiny living model. But tiny living works if you are a, you know, you sort of commute across state lines or from city to city. You kind of just need a space to like sleep while you work and then you leave and you go home on the weekends. Or even if it's, you know, you just want to do the tiny life. You want to minimize your your all of your possessions and your belongings and just keep it really simple. Either way, space is a premium, we know. But there's ways to sort of do it and be creative, like what we've talked about many times on here about malls mm. and just sort of reclaiming those spaces. So it's not always about building new, but how can you use the space that you have? And I think Lyric is doing a really cool, that's a really great idea. That can be reused and adapted to so many different ideas and so many different spaces. And one of our viewers has asked, how do we come in? How do you get a part of that? You have to be in an investment group. But obviously, as you see the size of those rounds that they're making, um, you ain't coming in with a couple of hundred thousand. You have to be a part of a large investment group. But those are the kind of things to pay for. I mean, the thing is, a lot of people get into stuff or they have situations and they automatically X themselves out. We could do it on our own. Right, we I'm gonna should, say start we small. We can reach out to all the South Florida developers that's building right now and run this idea behind. Yeah. Um, but what you got to remember is, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I mean, it's just one person doesn't have to control the market. Airbnb doesn't have to have the control they have over the market. Other people can do it. There's rooms for competition. We just have to be competitive. Absolutely. What can you do to make it better? Because it would be even better if you had a lyric-like company but you put programming with it and you let people know where to go and it became a social environment. Mm -hmm. Then it would be like a large travel club. So when you come together, that whole floor, there's just a list on the floor of things to do in the area where you're at. Right, kind of like a hostel, mm -hmm. but not. With more privacy. <laughs> that and a little bit more stylish. Yes, a lot more stylish than a hostel. <laughs> Every time I see a hostel pop up on Airbnb, I'm like, man, you. <laughs> got the wrong you want to do that hostile life <laughs> nah <laughs> certain things in life i don't need to try that's one of them mm -mm. liver uh nah, I'm, I'm not a liver fan at all uh what's the other one 
uh, pig guts, chitlins. Just certain things. Oh, I've had some chitlins. Not gonna do it. Yeah. They've been in my grandma house. used to cook them. Grandma made them. I used to leave the house from the smell. <laughs> just went outside and played all day when she was making them. Things. But we weren't there when she cooked them. We were there when they were done. Ugh. Anyways, so pretty fresh gets a life through Food Maven. A lot of you guys don't know, we used to have this little company called Pretty Fresh. By the way, they did not acquire us or anything. We just put that into the taglines. Because again, I like to entertain myself on this show. <laughs> but a, a venture-backed technology startup, Food Maven, is tackling the U.S. $160 billion per year industrial food waste. Let me just say that one more time for the people in the back. Yeah, slow that down. So for the people that's starving. Rewind. That help food and hunger and $161 billion a year industrial food waste problem by allowing food producers and suppliers to earn a profit from a once landfill destined food. Now, I have a problem with this. I just want you to know. The food you were getting ready to throw away, you've now turned it into another business from the food that you were already selling in the place from the food that you're overcharging people that you claim you want to help the community. So these companies will most likely be Walmart. Walmart, y'all got employees that can't even eat that's struggling, but y'all now going to give away food to another company to make profit off of it all over again? Where is the basis of empathy in the United States where you wouldn't just put that food into a nonprofit or just use your billions of dollars in profit to box that food up and first make sure you're feeding your own employees, but then maybe distributing that food to I don't know, nonprofits that feed the homeless. Like, I just don't get it. So Food Food Maven, just so you guys are clear, is a for-profit startup that boasts investors such as the Walton family and continues to expand and make acquisitions. It has relationship with some of the largest food companies in the country with new announcements coming soon, demonstrating an industry desire, side eye, to tackle food waste through advanced technology. I don't know what advanced technology you need besides sending me a text and let me know where to come pick up food when I'm broke. <laughs> so I just want to know what kind of technology are they actually developing? Maybe it's like preservation or storage. I'm sure there's probably some AI in there. Maybe some AR, who knows? This ain't even today's ignorance, but let me, since you're going to give them that kind of grade, let's just make this clear. <laughs> I didn't write a lot of notes on this. And if I was to show you guys the notes on this, there's just not a lot of notes. The reason why I didn't write a lot of notes on this, because we put together a company called Pretty Fresh. Pretty Fresh was trying to get Publix, and I'm calling them by name, to give us the food that they were getting ready to throw away. Some of this food is not spoiled, not rotten, but basically they have expiration dates, which makes them not capable of being sold in the store, because that's how you run the hustle. With an expiration date, it has to come off the shelf. I have to re replenish and I have to buy more from you. As it comes off the shelf, or you might have fruits and vegetables that don't look pretty, which is where the name Pretty Fresh came from. They don't look presentable enough to be on the shelf, which is kind of the unpresentable stuff that you see in Walmart, but not at Publix. That food is thrown away. It doesn't mean that it can't be consumed, doesn't mean that it's not good to eat. As we all know, you got some bread that's expired, but it still tastes good. You got some stuff in your house right now. You look at the bottom of one of them cans when you finally get ready to make you some baked beans. That Those beans been expired forever, but you know them beans still about to be off the chain when you add some brown sugar and some ketchup and some barbecue sauce and some onions, however you make yours. But anyways, you go through that whole process, the food can still be consumed and it can still fill you people. We have a hunger issue in this country but now you're going to make another for-profit company so how are the homeless people and the people that are hungry going to eat so the food that was just pretty much trash to you you're not going to profit from it all over again i morally have a problem with this uh normally don't wish bad for companies but for food maven unless you're a for-profit aspect is to get nonprofits to pay you for the execution and logistics of this this is what i call or as the show that we uh that's on this would be the basis of what i would consider american greed this is just the base of greediness because you already know there's a problem with people being able to eat this is just pure <clears throat> greed so i don't know how you feel about that but i just i thought it was as a tech company i just think this ties into how sometimes Tech just goes too far and we start losing that human touch of actually taking care of other people. Right. 
Right. So I'm interested to see a little bit more on their model and how and how they are looking to use tech. Like, yeah, I just threw some stuff out there. But if they are actually planning to use tech in an innovative way and in a way that allows them to still serve, if they're able to serve and still make a profit, then that's kudos to them. They've figured out a really great situation. And I, it's time will tell, time will tell, but especially if Walmart is a part of it, then you kind of already know. I was about to say, with Walmart being a part of it, to me, the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't see Walmart doing a lot of things that come with the basis of compassion. They're very aggressive at making money. So, we shall see, Food Maven. We watching. We watching you. But are you kidding me? Now, this <laughs> has to be one of my favorite things to close up our tech section for today. Some Microsoft staffers say that the company's diversity efforts are discriminating against white men. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh, look. I'm sure it's the same <laughs> arguments that came out with with affirmative action and going against that. I'm sure it's the same type stuff. And it it is just the whole idea of reverse racism. Like that's not possible <laughs> because the people who you're saying are doing reverse racism can't really do racism because <laughs> there's no control of the system. Like the whole reason why racism racism exists and it can only truly be applied to those who are of the white persuasion is because of the control factor of industry and systems. The oppressed cannot be racist towards you. They cannot discriminate towards you. And especially in a company that is predominantly owned, that's owned, operated, stakeholders and everything by white people, how is they how are they being discriminating? How are they discriminating against you? Like how does that work? I don't know if you guys have ever paid attention to the diversity inclusion conversations that we so scarcely have on tech peace invites. But the tech numbers aren't working out in your favor for this argument. But I do want you to hear one of the statements that came from one of the program managers. The program manager added in a later comment, I have an ever increasing file of white male Microsoft employees who have faced outright and overt discrimination because they had the misfortune, I'm gonna say that one more time, because they had the misfortune of being born both white and male. Listen. This is unacceptable. Stop trying to play the victim. <laughs> like, stop. Look, man. Stop. Look. Stop. Look. <laughs> stop. <laughs> Just have to say that again. I don't even I don't even remember where we found this information. This has to be one of the worst things I've I think Microsoft might be embellished with the greatness of maybe six percent African Americans. And I think it might be 22% of Asian. And I think the Hispanic might be 0.8 or 2%. Where are y'all being discriminated at? I don't know. I I just, I, I just want to understand. I, I just. And, and they need to know what true discrimination looks like, right? So you're, you're talking about something that you truly don't know what it looks like until you are able to truly like walk in the shoes. Just like, you know, when Eddie Murphy did the thing where he did the white face on SNL or whatever it was, he got to experience the other side. You kind of need to experience the other side. Like come over to this side and truly see what discrimination looks like and how that feels and how it impacts your livelihood on a daily basis. Not just at Microsoft, which if you're already at Microsoft, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> like. You're doing really well. How are you discriminated on in the company at my... Have you looked at your board of directors and your executive team at Microsoft? No. No. Because it's too easy to sort of like screen file than to like really look at what diversity and inclusion means, what it's supposed to do, why it makes sense and how it empowers people who have not had the privilege, like the for real privilege, to do some of the things that you've been afforded the opportunity to do. Again, that uh, that goes back to the whole idea of empathy. We're gonna have to upgrade for this conversation. Like, <laughs> you need to come over to the other side, like experience the dark side for a second, and then talk to us about discrimination. Like, stop it, stop discrimination? it. Discrimination? Stop it. 
Stop it. <laughs> Stop. Look, I'm interested to hear what the cases are. Like when they went to I'm, HR. I'm, I'm absolutely And they not. was like, oh my God, I was discriminated against. They would not give me my chicken in the <laughs> cafeteria <laughs> line. Like, what was it? What? Was, is it raises? Like, you don't feel and like. And even you, then, you're making more than everybody else. <laughs> so you don't want to talk about the pay gaps that happen. Right. Is it equipment? You got the old PC. <laughs> And you was pissed by that because your coworker, who happened to be a black female, got the new laptop. So you was like, ooh. Toy, when I told you this touched my soul when I realized we was going to have to what have this that? conversation. What is that? I just need one white male from Microsoft to call us and let us interview him. I want to hear about your discrimination, sir. <laughs> that, just, that just speaks to me about truly being out of touch with what the true conversation is and then now you're trying it's the same exact thing it's the same exact thing with affirmative action same exact thing look man just for every white male at microsoft until you get a fear and your heart drops to the bottom of your stomach every time a cop car drives by because you're now worried about your life and safety mm -mm. until you have somebody following you around in stores until you've lost your job and you are now capable of being fired for wearing your hair in its natural state. Understand what I'm saying? Wearing your hair in its natural state. Until you go through those kind of issues, don't be coming to us talking about discrimination. We ain't even gonna get into Jim Crow slavery and everything. We just gonna talk about current day issues. People walk around you and follow you behind the store because they wanna service you. People walk behind us and follow us because they want to make sure we're not stealing. I don't know what kind of discrimination you think you're going to, but I'm pretty sure Tom and Bob will have a good conversation with you that Latoya, Michael, and everybody else can't even have because we actually can't get the job because you were given a job just because they feel more familiar and more comfortable with you. This is not a conversation that should be hit. Let's just remove the white part from it. Let's remove the color. Males in general can't really talk about discrimination in a workplace until we address the issues of how we treat females at work, period. Until you can fix the pay gap between the sexes in general, race is irrelevant. Let's just fix the sex pay gap before you start getting into the race itself. This is a horrible story. Just a horrible story. So moving along. So you're going to have a quick conversation. You know, we got our music thing. Beats. Respect between generations, black men versus black men. Mm -hmm. So we had the whole thing with Kodak Black and T.I. going on. Yep. The back and forth. And then, you know, the game kind of got in there. Some other people, even Tank had something to say. Um, about Kodak Black's comment about yeah. Lauren London. We're not going to get into the comment. Y'all have seen it. If you haven't seen it, just Google it. But he initiated the conversation, of course, to have after Nipsey's death. But I'm just thinking, isn't there just a better way to school and reach out to help each other as men? Shouldn't, shouldn't you just be able to pick up the phone? I, I agree the statement shouldn't have been said. It should have been off limits. But isn't wasn't it just a better way to address it? That's all I'm asking. No, I definitely think so. I'm not a huge fan of like social media beefs anyway, because <laughs> you're doing it for for other people to like look at it. Oh, oh my God, did you hear that? It's just it just creates chaos. I'm I don't I'm not a believer of that. I don't follow them anyway, so it doesn't matter. But when you talk about mentorship, right? So Ti haven't been in the game for a very long time. And Kodak Black, you know, being sort of new, a part of this new generation of hip hop, there definitely could have been more of like an outreach or like a let me pick up the phone and call instead of sort of going to social media to respond to something. I think overall we just have to take some things off social media. Everything does not belong yes. to the public. Like, stop. Even personal posts, like everything does not belong to the public. Things are so public now, it's kind of crazy. And then people complain about privacy laws and privacy being taken away. But you already airing you your business. everything out there. If you want any kind yeah. of privacy, keep it to yourself. Right. So 
you know, when you talk about the betterment of the community, the betterment of the industry, if there was more mentorship within hip hop with the artists, like a whole complete like give back, like let's say new artists were paired with an older artist and they could actually sit there and like mentor each other. Cause you can mentor up and down. It goes both ways. Right. So there could be a whole, who knows where the industry could go if that sort of system and that support existed. And then you may not see some of the artists out here doing crazy stuff. Like if Ice Cube could sit there and have a relationship with some of these new artists, like, come on now, it'll be dope. It'll be so dope. I mean, my, one of my most influential mentors is actually younger than me. We can learn also, Yeah. but just as, as men in general, like there's too many conversations that we need to be able to have that we aren't having. Right. And I think men, to your point, what we talked about before, that men need a safe space. Women, we we kind of create safe spaces Girl for ourselves. Power is serious. Right. We create those spaces. I think men, especially black men, need to do the same thing. You got to create safe spaces. You guys need to have a network, a support system, to, so that way you could truly be yourself. You could talk about issues and not feel like you have to bury it all inside and carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Look. That causes stress, and stress causes lots of diseases. Y'all need to live. Y'all got babies and Thank girlfriends that, and wives and families. You know what? I appreciate yeah. that. Y'all need to live. We do need that. Mm-hmm. We need that and whiskey and barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> so the news in our bite section, the news has been kind of stagnant. I mean, I don't know. if Did you have a chance to watch the town halls? No. So CNN, I just want to let you know, you did not let Mayor Wayne Messam become a part of one of your town halls. It's okay. We'll give him his own town hall and we'll film it. Then you can, guys can pick up the content from us. I mean, I'm just saying, you're going to give everybody else a voice. Make sure you give them a voice. Um, but the town halls have been going, but we're going to talk about some of the issues because right now everything is just focused on the Democratic candidates and we're not there yet. We're not in that space yet because this is a stressful space for us. And <laughs> that's when we bring in the white bullet and that's when we'll be having full bottles of liquor. Um, <laughs> but so buildings over people. Um, I don't understand where the empathy is going to balance out because granted we have these famous buildings burning down and now people from all over wanted to donate to resurrect the building. Of course, we're talking about Notre Dame and you're talking about even the American vice president, the American president. But I don't remember any of this outpour coming from Flint, Michigan, Puerto Rico. Definitely don't remember it during Katrina. Um, And as a personal outlet, I don't remember seeing any of this during Hurricane Michael. And this goes back to one of the conversations because some topics we get were pulled in and our topics are given to us by our APs. Um, Even rich people clout chase. They give money to places where they feel they're going to get recognition. And I'm just wondering, Latoya, how do Mm -hmm. we how do we improve the empathy? Because there's people out there that are struggling. I mean, the Catholic Church has enough money to rebuild Notre Dame. Yeah. Flint, Michigan is still drinking dirty water. Hurricane Michael victims in the panhandle are still suffering with debris and everything sitting there and the Republicans still aren't releasing money to rebuild our city. I don't understand why the physical has become so much more important than actual human beings themselves. It goes back to that social media, right? So that's that social currency. Being able to say, oh, my God, I care. I was there. I did it. Yeah, that's me. And then there's also the aspirational aspect, right? So Paris, city of lights. and Quit Reggie Bushing. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. So it has a whole story, and you want to be a part of that story. Helping out Panama City, all right, I may have went there for spring break, but it's, you know, it don't have the same cachet. And I think that goes, that just speaks back to who we are and as a people and what we value and what we find important how we decide to lend our money and our ears and our time and what we invest in. Because even, you know, the whole Nipsey thing, right? So there's tons of people who are doing what Nipsey did. And a lot of people sort of did not know about him until he passed. But then everybody starts to, like, talk about it, right? And then there were some uh, social media memes that were out that talked about Slim Thug. 
and how he's out here doing rehabbing, building houses, helping out, you know, those who are less fortunate, doing lots of great things, but it's not quite being talked about. And yeah, I just think overall, we got to get back to the humanity side of it. And they talk a lot about how this particular generation, because of social media, because we interact with the world through our phones, we're losing that sort of idea of service, which is why I think it's so important to engage in some level of community service, whether it's you mentoring or you're volunteering at a hospital or you're going to a school to help them with their STEM program. We need to get back into that because we have to put faces to issues. Issues are just not tweets and things that you want to share and comment on. These things have actual people attached to them who matter, and you never know. <laughs> like, regardless of, you know, oh, I want to help this person because they're whatever. You have no idea what that person's journey is going to be. That person could be the person that you need to give you a liver one day. You just never know. And it's not that you need to be doing anything for that to look for a give back, but it's more so just understanding that there's value. Everybody has value. And that's something that I had a really good conversation about with a friend last week about value and seeing that in people and seeing it within yourself. Because if you see value within yourself, then you're able to recognize it in somebody else. So it may be the fact that we need to do some self-healing, mm. get back to who we are and understand nature right we need to kind of we need to dial back some things we need to go back to the fundamentals we're gonna lose too big for our britches on some stuff and with that being said one of the topics that we wanted to address today is going to be v for victory is not v for victory uh v is for valencia gunder um for most of 2017 uh gunder sat at on the executive steering committee of greater miami's hundred resilient cities initiative um, just in case you guys don't know, Valencia has been very focused on bringing relief to Miami's poorest neighborhood. And what we're talking about is the basis of the impact of climate change and global warming and how it's going to affect poor people in some of the poorest communities. Because we're only thinking about it, most of your conversations are the flooding on Miami Beach and things that are going to happen. You also got to think of how it's going to affect poor people that do not have the money to just pack up and leave or change their situation. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you a little quick read on some of the things Valencia are doing, and then we're going to kind of open this up for conversation between myself and Latoya and for those watching. But there's some facts that I thought people should hear, and I wanted to verbally say them on camera. Um, and with her effort, you know, to shore up the region against the worsening effects of climate change, the committee has tried to make plans to protect the most vulnerable. So 30% of people living in the area live below the poverty line, and twice as many struggle to make the ends meet. So with Valencia's effort, which one of her efforts primarily affected me was when she called me and she was helping out with Hurricane Michael. Mm -hmm. Valencia got down and she was helping a lot of people in Tallahassee. She helped people in Bay County. She was one of the main reasons why I was able to send a couple of trucks worth of supplies up to Bay County to not only help my family, but to help people from my city. So the groundwork was building a whole new way of community resilience. So this approach has been adapted by other U.S. cities. And when we talk about our Nipsey hustles in the community, I wouldn't even put that on Valencia. Valencia is her own person. Valencia is doing her own greatness and she was doing this before anything happened. Valencia has always been focused on this. And her approach is being adopted by these cities, but they're grappling primarily with the circumstances that happened through hurricanes, droughts, and floods. So after Irma wore through, uh, Valencia was thinking about the resilience hubs. Uh, she, while having to ignore the flooding of her own house, she met with a small group of uh, volunteers in an empty warehouse, what she dubbed the Community Emergency Operations Centers, or CEOC, which I think is dope. Mm -hmm. uh, very important. And she was focused in Overtown, Florida, which is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And she realized the need where she needed more money. So on a scale of need, in the time of what she was going through, Valencia had to reach out to the Miami Foundation, which is a local nonprofit. And during the basis of tears and crying through her conversation, uh, she was able to receive $10,000 in funding to help change her operations. And through the numbers of um, the things that happened in a week and a half, she had uh, fed 23,000 people 
and received a completely new model for how to deliver resources efficiently to the most vulnerable communities. Uh, the CELC is a foundation of a resilience network hub. The 100 Resilient Cities Steering Committee is working with community leaders and nonprofits across the city's neighborhood to identify trusted spaces for the new hubs. For Valencia, of course, this was just the beginning, but Valencia has been able to apply this, but the only part that pisses me off, she's having to do this through WhatsApp. You know, she should have her own app. She should have her own networking services. These are the things Facebook should be building with their spare time. These are the things she should be doing. Valencia is actually a true hero of our community. And, mm -hmm. you know, when it came down to it, as much of a network that I may have, as many people as I may know, when it was time to get st stuff done and I needed to make sure my mom had lights and batteries and my mom was out there trying to help people through the community with Alpha Kappa Alpha, with her sorority, reaching out to Deltas that were trying to help, I had to rely on Valencia to actually make the executions happen to get things to Panama City. Um, I just wanted to address this story because not only was this story addressed, but this story was covered by MIT Technology and you're talking about somebody that's right down the street, somebody that's accessible, somebody that's in our community. Mm -hmm. But also these are the things what we're talking about that we overlook the aspect of climate change because some people, when a hurricane comes, they don't have enough money to just buy a plane ticket or get in the car and drive away. Some of these people do not have cars. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're already in debt. And these are the kind of people that Valencia is helping out. These are the kind of people she's putting together a plan of action for to not just save these communities, but to save their lives. So I just wanted to address that and to tell Valencia we thank her and we wanted to give her a direct shout out on the show. We want her to take this segment and to let her know that other people are watching the work you do, Valencia. We care. Um, you're your resilience, your your strong voice, your strong presence, mm -hmm. the fact that when you speak, you make sure everybody in the room is listening to you. We've noticed all of those things and we appreciate you. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, if you wanna go ahead and get into these streets, but those are the streets I want to talk about. So Valencia- Cause those, are real, yeah, those, those are real streets. Yeah. Those are real streets. Those are real things that matter. So that's our shout out to Valencia Gunder, the true hero, V stands for Valencia. Valencia is the victory that we needed in our community. Those are the people we believe in. Those are the people that are winning. So. 100%. Go ahead. So in these streets, I'm sure everybody heard about President Trump's visit to Twitter. And it's interesting because, of course, he got to make the visit all about himself. So President Trump has just under 60 million Twitter followers, which is pretty, you know, it's a good number whatever. And the Barack Obama, of course, has over 106 million. Oh, so you know that was trouble. So he's been complaining about his him losing Twitter followers, of course, over time. And I guess, you know, the CEO of Twitter kind of came out and he was saying, Jack Dorsey, he was basically like, they did some changes. So they were trying to sort of cut down on some of the the fake accounts. So you may see some dropout on your Twitter feed and your followers because of the fake accounts going away. So maybe um, Trump had a few more fake followers than he really realized. But what's really interesting is that uh, Pew Research Center came out recently about how the Twitter population does not really reflect the U.S. population and how Twitter's followers and users tend to be younger, more affluent, and they lean a little bit more democratic. So President Trump, that may also be why you don't have that much of a pull and, and support on Twitter as you thought you had while you putting out all those tweets and thinking that that's your platform and your soapbox to talk about what you want to talk about. Your your followers may not be there. So I just thought it was interesting because, of course, you know, like I said in the beginning, he had to make the trip all about himself. The whole meeting and everything when Jack came to the White House, it was all about Trump and him not having the followers that he wants and why and crying and blah, blah, blah. When there's some real issues going on, but now you want to talk about your Twitter feed. That's in these streets. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect that to be. So this man is literally upset. Because yeah, he like for real, for real. <laughs> upset. There's a lot of articles that came out today. Y'all can read up on it. But it talks about the whole meeting. And it was like, yeah, that's what we're talking about. Your Twitter feed and your followers. Because you feel like, oh, you don't have enough. Oh, yeah, you thought you was just talking to your folks. Nah, not so much, Trump. Your folks ain't on Twitter like that. 
Well, uh, for Boo Boo the Fool, Trump, you are definitely going to take that L. I wish we had a clip where we could drop it in. You just take all them L's. But um, we're going to close out for today, for today's ignorance. Um, I just want to address something that personally I went through as a, uh, a black male and I guess a, as a leader and also just the silence of lost opportunities. There's a lot of situations where based off of silence and not actually coming to have a full conversation, there's topics and issues that we don't address and these things never get cleared up. Through the silence of ignorance, we run into problems that could have been solved just with a quick phone call or a quick conversation. The one thing that has hurt us is the constant access. And as Latoya mentioned earlier today, the constant access puts us in a position where we lie on, rely on mobile devices and we rely on tweets, images, likes, and comments to actually dictate our emotions and the things we really feel. Pick up the phone, text, WhatsApp, Instagram, DM, but state your problem and seek a solution and let the conversation be the music to the ending of the movie. Now, this is what I mean by that. Talk about the problem, address the problem, allow yourself to become vulnerable to make sure that you're fixing the issue because the one thing you don't wanna do is die with something that you could have fixed. You don't wanna die with an issue that could have been addressed. You don't wanna die with a problem that could have been addressed in a two minute conversation. There's too many times, and more so I will be more specific. I'm speaking to black men that have a lot of pride that don't like to become vulnerable and have these communications. And as my co-host and one of my closest friends, Latoya Sturb, has stated, men need a safe space. Mm -hmm. But the safe space should be amongst us. Reach out to each other and let each other know exactly what it is you want, exactly what it is you need, and give that person the opportunity to say no. If you feel there might have been any form of a miscommunication or a misunderstanding where somebody didn't know exactly what it is you were looking for, take the time to actually step back and say, you know what, they might not be able to read my mind the way that I want them to, and they may not know exactly what I'm thinking, so I'm going to tell them exactly what it is I want, so you quit the basis of interpretation. There's nothing wrong with being direct in your forms of communication, especially when doing business, but even more so if you move beyond doing business, the one thing you learn in love and marriage, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being direct with your needs or your wants in a relationship. And if you expect the person to know exactly what you need and want, but you cannot verbally communicate those exact needs and wants, understand those needs and wants may not be fulfilled because if you yourself cannot actually dictate that information or actually tell someone exactly what you're feeling, don't expect them to know because you yourself are still confused. If you allow this conversation to be the end of the movie, which would be whatever synopsis you're going through, that movie could go one way. It can be Teen Wolf, where you come out with three different episodes, but you end up losing J. Michael. Or you can just make it another way and it becomes a synopsis and it can continue on. Or it just is the end of the movie and there's no other prequels, sequels. There's nothing that happens. So you can Logan your life and have all different kind of versions of Wolverine. Or you can do the one and done, which would be more so like, you know, uh, coming to America. But even so, with coming to America as things sit and you realize the importance of that relationship, you might have to go back 20 something years later and have that conversation all over again because you realize you had the best thing sitting in front of you, which was a friend. Don't allow silence to be the reason for a lost opportunity just because you didn't communicate something to someone when miscommunications happen so much with the tone of text. I don't know how many times I've told people this. Do not assume my tone because in text, I'm trying to get it done and I'm trying to make it short. I'm not trying to be poetic the way text message. If you want to know how I feel, visit me, call me. The phone is available. I've had the same phone number since 1999. And everybody that knows those last four numbers came from Foot for Footprints Unlimited. Just... Don't allow miscommunication to be the reason for missed opportunities and missed friendships. If I have a problem with Latoya, it's not my goal for Latoya to figure out that I have a problem with her. It is my goal to address her, tell her my problem, and ask her if there's a solution we have. And she sits this close to me 
every Wednesday as we go through this show, but I can't assume she knows anything I'm going through if I don't tell her exactly what I'm going through. And that's life, people. That's with your spouse. That's with your family. That's with a business partner. That's with anything in life. Do not lose an opportunity because you were not willing to speak up to fix the problem. And that's for today's ignorance. Toya? That's Mike. That's Toya. And this This is is Tech Tech Beats and and Bites.